Well, we are in our What God Says About Me series. This is part seven. Last week, I kind of threw in an extra part, but this more closely connects back to part five. So if you want to grab CDs, those are going to be out there in the foyer in the orange room, and you can catch up with uh, parts one through six. Last week, I jumped in with you just because I felt led uh, to share with you a passage from Corinthians about spiritual giftedness. And the point last week, the truth that we tried to convey last week, kind of, kind of just jumped in there, I think, by God's leading, was that uh, we are all needed. And Satan would have you believe that you are not needed as a part of the local body of Christ. But I'm here to tell you, as much as uh, you depend on me to lead and to guide and to be the visionary and to teach on Sunday mornings, etc., uh, this thing, this entity, the church, the local body, that family, okay, that, uh, that body that is connected to the head who is Jesus Christ, it, it doesn't function unless everybody plays their part. And last week I, I read you that passage and I essentially uh, beseeched you, as Paul would say, I begged you to take up your part of the body of Christ. Find the place in the family of God that you can serve and do that. And that was more than just uh, helping with the kids. That was more than just uh, manning a post. We're talking about spiritual work. God needs to move through you in a spiritual way. He needs, to, he needs to show you what your spiritual giftedness is. And, and I need you, your elders, this church body, the family, need you to play your part. Amen? That was last week. The week before that was this truth, that I am, God says, according to Romans chapter 4, four 5, uh, even 6, and many other places, but we looked at it in Romans 6, that I am dead to sin. And we walk through how many times Paul says, we are dead, we are dead, we are buried, we are crucified. We are goners, folks. And we talked about just some essential truths to build upon for today's message and a couple to come. But the, the bottom line was that we're dead to sin. Now remember, I threw a caveat in there that sin, however, is not dead. It is alive and well. And it is it is trying to be as active a part of our life through our flesh as it possibly can. And we've got a, we've got a battle at hand. But we're, we're not schizophrenic Christians. We're not dual-natured Christians. Sometimes we, we've been led to believe that we have our old nature still alive and well in us, and we've got this new nature, and now we're, we're split right down the middle as Christians, and we're fighting this inner civil war. That's not, that's not exactly the truth of Scripture. Scripture wants you to know that you are dead to sin. It no longer is master over you. That old man, he is a goner. That old nature has been crucified with Christ. There's not this inner civil war. And so uh, you'll also remember that I left you with a question that should have been on your minds. And then what's the struggle inside of me? I mean, there is one, right? I don't know about you, but there's one inside of me. If I don't have an old nature still alive and well, if it's, if it's been crucified, then where am I, where am I warring? What is this fight that's going on? We've, we've got to answer that question. Today, here's the truth for us. The truth is that we're not only dead to sin, but we are alive in Christ. Now, all these things sound simple, but I don't know if you've noticed, we are trying to unpack these truths through the book of Romans. I, I've sort of been uh, hopping and skipping through the book of Romans. Uh, a, a, a pastor probably gets, in my estimation, one opportunity to preach the book of Romans in his career. Uh, there's a few reasons for that. Number one, it, it's long, okay? Uh, and it takes a long time. I think it took Chuck Swindoll uh, months 
close to a year to get through the book of Romans. I think it took Tommy Nelson, the guy who taught me the Bible, I, thought, I think it took him more than a year, probably 14, 15 months to get through the book of Romans. Uh, Seth, since you just walked in, how long did it take John Piper to get through Romans? Isn't he still in it? Like four or five years preaching just on Romans. You guys would go home after about month three. It took me like six months to get through 2 Timothy. All right? The day that I stand up here and say, we're going to start in Romans, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a, long, a long time. Uh, we're, not, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Uh, I've been giving you samples out of Romans. You know another reason uh, pastors usually only get one opportunity to teach Romans? Not only because it's long, but because it's, uh, it is chock full of doctrine. And the tendency these days is that we don't endure doctrine very well. It's a heavy load to sit under the teaching of doctrine. And so now we teach about things that, uh, that help us quickly, uh, that uh, make us laugh. Uh, we teach about things that are going to improve our marriages. We teach on things that are easier to absorb. You know, we've got this, this thing that has infected us. I don't know what it is, uh, what, the, what the real statistic is, but they say in TV now that you can't be on the same frame for more than, what, like five, six seconds. They've got to switch it up or we get bored and we turn the channel. And so it's constantly changing, and, and preaching has somewhat gone that way. That if uh, this series right here lasts more than eight, ten weeks, you're going to get bored, and you're going to be looking for the next thing. And so we came up with this, with this idea, this theme of what God says about me, but I'm just teaching you Romans, people. Uh, let me give you a summary, because I haven't gone through the whole book, of what we're doing right here, all right? Chapters 1, and this is all ballparking it right here, all right? Don't nail me down to this. Chapters 1 and 2 of Romans gets us lost. Paul wants us to know that we are in need of righteousness, and we are lacking that righteousness all on our own. Jew or Gentile, we need God. We have this Great lack of righteousness. That's chapters 1 and chapter 2. Chapter 3 and chapter 4, it's the provision of righteousness to us. It's how God supplies that righteousness that we lack. And it's the story of the gospel. It's how salvation plays out. Chapter 5, and this is where we started essentially this series, chapter 5 comes on the tail end of that provision that God hands us salvation. And it says, here's why salvation is absolutely secure. Here's why you don't have to worry. And we spent a, spent a couple weeks in this series saying, listen, the truth is that I am loved by God. And what that tells me is, the surety that that gives me is that he can't unlove me. He never looked at me and said, I think that guy's good enough to love, so I'll love him. He's not, so I won't love him. Despite our wretchedness, Scripture says he loved us. It wasn't based upon us. And so that truth that no matter what, he loves us. He's always loved us and he always will. How much more, Paul says, now that we are sons. Then we spent a week on the truth that uh, I am a saint. And we talked about how our heritage now goes all the way back to the second Adam, Jesus. And now our inheritance doesn't come from the first Adam, the fallen man. Our inheritance comes from the righteous and the perfect man. It's not only our, our heritage, but he is our inheritance. And so the Bible now says that we are in Christ. And if we're in Christ and we just think logically, where is he? He's at the right hand of the Father. We are as good as at the right hand of the Father as we are in Christ. Do you see the surety that Romans chapter 5 brings to the justification, the righteousness that God 
supplies for us. So he gets us lost. He gets us saved. And then he tells you why you can stand secure in that salvation. You can't lose it because you never earned it. It's all what God has done. He did it. You didn't do it. In spite of you, he saved you. That's the power. That's the security of the gospel. The only way the gospel could be unsure, Christian, the only way you could be on shaky ground, what we call thin ice, remember? The only way that could happen is that if if Jesus somehow fell short, and he didn't, and he still doesn't, at the right hand of the Father, Jesus, the Son of God, cannot sin. And so, unless Jesus were to fall, we're secure. We only fall if he falls because we are in him. And so think about now the amount of security that that brings. At the end of chapter 5, here's what we said. You should be sitting there scratching your head saying, um, if, it's, if it's that good, if it's that good, does that mean that I could just do anything? That I could sin in in any way, to any degree, in any amount, and it wouldn't affect my justification, the righteousness that has been gifted to me? Technically, the answer is, that's right. Now, that's, that, seems, that seems crazy. That seems ludicrous to us. It doesn't, seem, it doesn't seem logical. But we can't approach the gospel in that sense, in logical terms. Let me read to you Romans chapter 6. Here's what he says. In answer to Romans chapter 5. In answer to verse 19 of Romans chapter 5. Just listen. For as though through one man's disobedience, that was the first Adam, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the capital one, that's Jesus, many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, and here's where the hang-up comes, where sin increased, Grace abounded all the more. God, in His grace, overcame what the law showed as our sinfulness. Grace wiped it out. Grace is greater than all our sin. And so, here's the the next question Paul has to answer, and here's where he goes in Romans 6. If that's true, if, if grace abounds where sin increases... That means the more I sin, the more grace of God I'm exposed to. Is that right? That's right. The more you sin as a Christian, the more grace that God has to extend to you. That's technically correct. So, then logically thinking, if, if the more I sin, the more grace God extends to me, wouldn't I want to sin more so that I could receive and be exposed to more of God's grace? And Paul says, not so fast. Not so fast. That is, that's an impossibility. Now here's why. Romans chapter 6. Listen. What shall we say then? What do we say to this question? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? That would be the assumption. May it never be. And there's an exclamation point there for a reason. Paul is very emphatic. That's not how this thing works. Let me explain. How shall we who died to sin? Remember, we were, what? What's the truth about us? I am dead to sin. It doesn't say sin is dead. We are dead to it. That means the power of sin has been broken in our lives. Think about it this way. 
in regards to the role sin plays, and we'll come to this in, the, in a future week, the power of sin over your life has been broken on the cross. In your death in Christ on the cross, when you were crucified in Him before the very foundation of the world, all right, you're grasping all this, the power of sin in your life has been broken. That's what it means to be dead to sin. When you're raised one day at the resurrection and you enter into glory, the presence of that sin will then be vanquished. Sin itself, which is still right now alive and well, it'll finally be dealt with. So right here at the cross, the power of sin is broken. In the future, one day in glory at the resurrection, that very presence of sin will be dealt with. It'll be gone. But right now, sin is still here and it is alive and well. You see, you've been released from the penalty. What did I say? The power, Seth? Am I getting mixed up here? You've been released from the penalty of sin by the crucifixion of Christ. One day, the presence of sin will be dealt with. Right now, you've been broken from the power of sin. Is that, are you tracking with me here? It's a little confusing. This is what Paul's trying to explain. It's both and. That's a good way. Keep going here. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? As if to say, that's not possible. We have died to sin, therefore, now that we have been resurrected in Christ, because we have died with Him, we have been raised with Him, we can't live in it any longer. He explains even further. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus... Now, that's an interesting phrase he's going to use here a few times. Or do you not know? It's as if Paul looks at this, this debater, this one who raises this question, and he just, he just wipes his brow and he says... Do you, not under, do you not understand what I'm talking about here? I think what Paul's trying to convey in these words, and he uses this a couple times more in this chapter even, it's what the old Puritans would call the unction of the Spirit. There's something in us, now that we are in Christ, that doesn't allow for this sort of logical thinking that... If grace increases where sin increases, then if I sin more, then I get more grace. And, ergo, if I can sin as much as I want and God will just keep heaping grace upon me, why not just continue in sin? Now that sounds, you understand, mathematically reasonable and understandable. But what Paul's trying to convey here is that to the heart of the believer, the one who has been crucified to sin, the one who's been raised in newness of life, it doesn't doesn't work that way. You see, the one who has the conversion story that turns them into a Christ follower, have you heard this this term? It's a a more recent term. Uh, We got rid of the term being born again. Uh, We didn't like the term being saved. Uh, The media kind of uh, they kind of abused those maybe and we got pegged as, as weirdos and freaks, those born-again Christians. And, and you've heard people say uh, all the way back to a guy named Chuck Colson who wrote a book about his life and his conversion called Born Again. Uh, you'd, you'd have people say ever since then that I'm, I'm a Christian but I'm not one of those born-again Christians. I mean, I'm not one of those radical Christians. It doesn't control all the aspects of my life. As if to say I have the benefits of it but I don't, I don't actually live by all the rules of it. Are you tracking with me? Um, we, don't, we don't like to add we don't like to add some of those labels because maybe it says more than what we want so here's what we get in modern Christianity 
We get people who convert to the gospel. They say, uh, I, I'm going to be a, I'm a Christ follower. I believe that Jesus was uh, a good moral teacher. I'm going to give Jesus a try. I'm going to, I'm going to try that out. And rationally thinking people decide to follow Jesus. And that is part of what we do. But that's not merely what Christianity is. What Paul is saying here is that Christianity is more than just an intellectual assent. It's more than just me deciding that Jesus and the Bible and this way of living compared to uh, Buddhism or Islam or this religious uh, belief over here. Uh, Christianity is the one I'll choose. I'll follow this guy. Paul would say, no, I'm more than just a Christ follower. There is something that has happened in the constitution of the man who is in Christ that answers this argument. Can I just continue in sin? It makes sense, logically, that sin increases, grace would then increase. If God's love is so, so amazing, as if you've explained it in Romans 5, then should I, should I just continue in sin? Could I just continue in sin? And the heart of Paul, who has not just followed a man, but the, but the very inner man of Paul who has been crucified, who is dead now to sin and alive in Christ, cries out and says, may it never be. That, that, that can't happen. Now, you, you know this if you're in Christ. You may have never put it in the terms of the unction of the Spirit. You may have never thought about it in terms of Romans chapter 6, but, but you know this. That there was a time in your life where uh, the things of God, the people of God, the Word of God, the place of God, it wasn't attractive to you at all. In fact, you may have actually rejected it and despised it. But there came a time when you were born again, once you were in Christ, that now the people of God, the Word of God, the things of God, you have this, this hunger, this desire that you can't explain. Now, let me clarify something here because some of you are thinking, I don't know that I hunger enough. <laughs> and Satan's sneaking in right now and he's trying to say, well, I don't think you, I don't think you have a desire enough for, for God's church or maybe you don't have a desire enough for God's word. That's a big one. Uh, can I tell you that, that we still struggle with this thing called sin. In our flesh, Paul calls it this, this old body, this carnal man, we still fight the battle of sin residing in our body. And so you may be thinking to yourself, well, I, yeah, like I want to read my Bible. I want to know God's word more, but I just can't seem to make it happen. The difference is, it's that, it's that hunger. Now you will fight your flesh until the day you die. Your flesh will war against you, telling you, you don't need to read that. We need to take a nap. It's too early to get up early. It's too late to stay up longer. Pray, let's go to sleep. Pray, let's watch that TV show. And your war against your flesh, where sin resides in you for the rest of your life, and the fight isn't what it used to be, but there is still that fight going on. You see, you know, you know what Paul is getting at here when he says, do you not know? I mean, how do you answer this? How do you answer the guy who says, well, can I just continue in, in living however I want to live? I mean, that makes sense. I mean, if, if Jesus has saved me and he did the work and it's not dependent on me, then I can do whatever I want. And while that makes maybe mathematical sense, Paul knows in the depths of his heart who's been 
crucified in Christ, it doesn't work that way. That's the cry of his heart. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? We're dead to that life. It's gone. That's, that's the old man. That's our old nature. He's been crucified. He's been baptized into the death of Jesus. Do you not know that? It's as if Paul just kind of squints and leans over the, the table at the guy and says, do you not feel that? Maybe that's the problem. I mean, if you're just coming at this as some intellectual decision to follow Jesus, then you're, you're not going to feel that. There's not going to be the unction of the Spirit because there's no Spirit residing in you. Do you not know that? Do you not know that you were, you were baptized into his death? It's the picture of a butterfly. Pretty, pretty simple imagery. You've all thought of this before. You've heard this before. When a butterfly becomes a butterfly, what will it never be again? A caterpillar. Now, it can, it can run around on the ground and try and act like a caterpillar, but it'll look like a pretty silly butterfly. We've died to that. We're no longer a caterpillar. We're a butterfly. There has been a constitutional change in the inner man. And so Paul argues from the, from the fact that, that it can't be. Do you not know that? Keep going. Verse 4. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. There's that word again. So that. Now, here's where I want you to go in this because you're, you're saying, didn't you show us all these death words, these crucifixion words a couple of weeks ago when we, we were focusing on the truth that I am dead to sin? Yes. Today, I want you to see the other side of the coin. Because we are dead to sin, we are also necessarily, and note that word necessarily, we are necessarily alive in Christ. If we died with him, we also now are alive with him. We don't get part A without part B. That's the argument. That's the defense. Watch. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become, and that word if is not a guess on Paul's part. It's a sure thing. It's as if he said, if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, and we have. That's what he's saying. That's what he's screaming right here, church. If we have become united, that word united could be translated grafted in. If you have been engrafted into the likeness of his death, have we? Yes, we have. That's a fact. Then certainly, certainly, circle that word, certainly, church, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Paul, can I just keep living however I want to live? No. Don't you know that we, we died to sin? And if we've died to sin, then we've been raised into the newness of Christ's life. You don't get one without the other. It's not like an insurance plan. I'll take Jesus over here for my forgiveness, but I'll skip the coverage and I'll skip the part that says he gets to be Lord of my life. That now I live or better yet, he lives his life through me. 
We don't get that option. Paul says that that's not a choice. If we've been crucified, if we've been baptized into his death, if we have died like he has, and we have, then we have certainly been raised to walk in the newness of his resurrection. Keep going. Knowing this, that our old self, or you could say our old man, was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. And that doesn't mean that the body of sin was killed off. It means that we were released from its power. To be done away with, it'd be better to say it was, it was made idle or we've, unim, we've, we've taken its job away. We, we've, we've, we've broken its tie. We've, we've taken away its power. That's what Paul means by saying done away with. So that we would no longer be slaves to sin. We can't, we can't continue to walk that old way. We're not caterpillars anymore. Something in our core has changed. We've been born again. We're not just followers of a man, of a morality, of an ideology. And so we can't just play the game of if this, then this. And so he did this so I can live like this. There's a, there's a change, church. Verse 7, For he who has died is freed or acquitted from sin. We're released. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Amen? We do. If we have died with him, we believe that we will one day be raised to live with him for eternity in glory. That's the truth. For the death that he died, verse 10, he died to sin. Watch this now. Once for all, but the life that he lives, present tense, he lives to who? God. Jesus at the right hand of the Father. He ever liveth, interceding on our behalf. But he lives now to God. He died in the past once for all. He lives now in the present. And he lives to the glory of God the Father. Now if that's true, and it is, look at what he says next. Verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves. King James says, reckon yourselves. It's a mathematical term. It's, it's really an accounting term. It means to add up the, the facts, add up the numbers, draw a line at the bottom, and see what conclusion you come to. He says, even so then, consider, reckon it true to be of you as well. This is what we're talking about, our identity. What is true about you? Paul says what's true about Jesus is what's true about you. He died. Now he lives. How does he live? He lives to God. What does it say about us? Verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be what? Dead to sin. Same thing it said about Jesus. But alive to God in Christ Jesus. We get what Jesus has. Can we continue that way of life? No, we can't. Is there a fight? Yes, there is. That's chapter 7. How do we deal with it? The rest of chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8. How now do we live? You get three chapters helping you to understand what is this war? What is this battle? How do I live in the victory that God says I have? How do I walk free from this sin that's still alive and well, dwelling in my flesh? How do I kick it? Is there some trick? Is there some nifty secret? Uh, can Dr. Phil help? Can Oprah help? No, they can't. Can that... TV evangelist who's given away, you know, the, the uh, butcher knives when you call in 
and, and get the, you know, whatever deal they're offering today? Uh, is, there some, is there some secret trick way to deal with sin? There's not. We have to struggle well. Remember what we said in Genesis 4? The first mention of sin in Scripture. God to Cain. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted? But do you not know that sin, like this wild animal, is crouching at your door? Its desire is for you. It's right here. It's waiting. It's waiting to pounce. Its desire is to consume you. Cain, you must master it. Do we have a fight? We sure do. But the truth is, we're not only dead to sin, we're alive in Christ. We're alive in Christ. So what's Paul's argument? I think he gives us three things right here, and we'll be done. Can we continue this life of sin? Can I just live however I want? I mean, it makes logical sense. If God has done this, to this extent, it's all dependent on what Jesus has done. Is that right? It's right. Wherever I sin, grace just increases for those who are in Christ. Is that right? That's right. Well, then why don't I just continue to sin? I'll get more grace, and it doesn't matter anyway. And you can't go there. Why? Not because we just, we just don't think it's not right, right? I mean, part of us just wants to say, well, that, that can't be right. That doesn't work. The theology says it doesn't work because you have been, you have been re born. You're something new now. It doesn't work because there's something in you that, 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 that just squints and, and grimaces like the Apostle Paul and says, may it never be. Do you not know? Do you not know that you've been, you've been killed off? That old man with his old ways, he's a goner. You've been released from the power of sin that still hangs around in your flesh. Do you not know that just as you've been crucified with Christ, you've been raised to live the life that he lives, and he lives his life to God. We live, therefore, our lives to God. That's the truth about us. We are alive in Christ to the glory of the Father through Jesus Christ. Next week, chapter 7. How do, we, how do we work that out? I mean, how do we deal with this flesh that still remains? Let's pray. Lord, my, uh, my, spirit, my spirit believes, unfortunately so, that there are those who, who are perhaps even in this room today who do not know. Their heart does not uh, their heart does not does not sense what Paul's trying to communicate here. Their heart doesn't amen, if you will. Uh, maybe they've come maybe they've come to this whole church thing, this whole Jesus thing, this whole Christianity thing. Maybe they've come with too much of, of their head. And they think that this is all just an intellectual decision. To pick one religion over another. To pick one ideology over another. To pick one set of morals over another set of morals. Maybe they're just, maybe in in all purity even. They're giving this Christianity thing a try, but they've never been born again.
And so if Paul were to ask them, or Holy Spirit, if you were to ask them in this very moment, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Do you not know that those of us who have been buried with him, we have also been raised from the dead through the glory of the Father so we too might walk in newness of life? And unfortunately, the answer, if they're honest and if they're courageous enough, Lord, would have to be that they don't know that. That's not been the way they've, they've come to Jesus. They've come to Jesus for, for help, yes. For guidance, yes. But this idea of being a new creation being crucified in Christ being reborn it is as uh, strange to them as it was to Zacchaeus how can I how can I be born again Holy Spirit speak this morning speak this morning Bring assurance to the believer. Even the believer who struggles still with their sin. Encourage them to continue to struggle well. Encourage them that their heart knows that they have been released. Not only from the penalty, but also from the power of sin. Even though there is still the presence of sin. And even though it takes its residence in our flesh. Encourage the saint here this morning, Lord, to know that the the power has been broken. The penalty has been removed. We can have victory. We can have victory. Jeremiah 31 says this, This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Lord, do the the work in our hearts and in our minds that only you can do. Help us to know the truth about ourselves. That we are alive to walk in the newness of life. To the glory of you, our Father. Through the blessed Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand? We're going to sing one more song and we'll be dismissed. I'll be up front if you want, if you want to pray with someone or talk with somebody. I'll, I'll be right up here. And then I'll be at the back door if you want to grab somebody and uh, just ask questions. You can do that as well. Why don't you use this last moment just to let God say whatever He wants to say before you get back out there into the rat race of the world and life takes over again.
Give him your ear. Give him your ear. Let's sing.